You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome in to the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. I apologize that you have to hear my voice again. It must have been so nice having a break. Only gotten uh, three voices last week, none of which were mine. I'm happy for all of you. Hello, Sam. (laughs) Hello, Tyler. We, as I explained last week, and I hope this came through, I, it did because I re-listened to the episode because I really enjoyed it, but uh, you did all the editing on that. It, it flowed incredibly well. I sent you all these files just being like, here's Ben talking, here's me talking, here's me talking with Ben, here's me, Kelsey, and Ben all talking, here's these other intros you have to mix in, and it all flowed so well. So if that last week's show succeeded at all... It was because of your heavy editing. No, hands, so. no. Behind the scenes no. stuff, we always want to bring that, you know, out out to the front. And- Sam sent me copious notes on how everything should be laid out. No, that was a really fun episode, though. Um, Sam and Benjamin Hill and Kelsey Hennigan went to the Brooklyn Cyclones um, at MCU Park in Brooklyn, which I, um, I think we've discussed my New York connections before. I don't live there, but I get to visit you guys quite a bit. My mom's from New York originally, and I got a bunch of family out there. Obviously, my job is based out there as well. Um, but uh, I have never been to MCU Park, and uh, I'm pretty sure that at some point in my life I've been to Coney Island, but it hasn't <laughs> been. It's been like it was like when I was a kid. Like it was a long, long time ago. Uh, but I've never been to MCU Park, and I kind of hate myself for it because I really want to go see a game there. This year, it's not going to happen for me. I'm I'm gone until the beginning of September. I'm not going to be in New York this season. Um, but next year, I'm making it happen because this year, the Brooklyn Cyclones, for their Seinfeld night, brought the actor who played Jean-Paul Jean-Paul in the in the episode where he was the Olympic runner, was running in the New York City Marathon. They found that actor and brought him in. They did like a, a special, I think it was like a 1K that they did at the ballpark, but they handed out these like Jean-Paul Jean-Paul uh, race t-shirts for participants who bought a certain ticket back. Like they do it so well. And that's just like, that is my mecca. That a Seinfeld night with that level of dedication. And the Brooklyn Cyclones have done that for years now but next year i can't imagine to top this year i can't imagine what they're going to do next year so next year i'm making it brooklyn you can hold me to it billy harner all the rest of you you can hold me to it (laughs) well that was the neat thing about being there for like a brooklyn jefe's night and you know brooklyn is so well known across the industry uh obviously ben knows more about this than i do but just uh, from you know basically a fan standpoint when it comes to the business side uh they do just an incredible job of blowing things out and, and going the extra yard and doing all that. So being there for Jefe's night as it came across last week, uh, you know, we were there for Mexican night and uh, having a mariachi band there. And if, if you listen to the conversation we had with Elisa uh, at the Brooklyn front office, you'll hear about how much it goes beyond just what you see on the field and uh, all that kind of stuff. They're really trying to be involved in that Coney Island community and and the whole borough of brooklyn so getting to see that firsthand on such a big night last week was really cool uh maybe next year we'll have to do like a seinfeld night thing ourselves we'll go back we won't tell you like what it's like to be in coney island we won't do that thing anymore we'll just blow it out with seinfeld references we absolutely should do that and uh i'll just yeah i'll do nothing but just drop obscure seinfeld lines the entire episode people will hate it um so with that we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast number 173 sam um every week puts in a little fun fact in the subject line of the email for the uh episode number of the subject line or of the uh, of the episode this year or this uh this week is episode number 173 and it might be my favorite fact of this year the number 173 is the the number of fatalities attributed to the beast in the sandlot, the beast, the dog in the sandlot, was said to have eaten 173 guys. That was a good one. Yeah, no, I, I was happy I found that. I did not fact check it. Um, so <laughs> save your sure tweets. I'm pretty sure it's true. Because Squint says uh, something about, like, he ate 120, 173 guys. And I don't know how he jumps 53 <laughs> estimated deaths in that uh, in that guess, but... 
120, 173 guys. So now you know. So episode number 173, uh, The Beast is what we'll call this one. And let's get started. It's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mom, by the way. He's Sam Dykstra. And we're going to start by talking about two guys whose names are uh, right front and center in the baseball world these days and are actually taking each other on in the International League this week and may not be in the International League for long. And that is one Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Aloy Jimenez, the top prospects in the Toronto Blue Jays and Chicago White Sox organizations, respectively, uh, and the top prospect in baseball, in Vlad's case, and uh, the number three in baseball in Aloy Jimenez's case. And those two guys right now, Sam, have jumped up to that level at AAA. Vlad Guerrero, through 12 games, is now homered in four straight. He's batting at AAA, 395, 489, 763. Aloy Jimenez has been up at the AAA level for 35 games, 351, 393, 672. Those two guys right now, should they be in the major league strike one? Uh, to keep it short, in a vacuum, yes. I mean, the, we see this type of production from people and we immediately want to move them up and get them challenges. And, uh, you know, there's so many ways to start with this. And the reason I say in a vacuum is because there are so many other layers here, and we'll get to that in a second. But the way Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Eloy Jimenez are taking to AAA baseball right now, they're not getting anything out of it, to be frank. Uh, you know, you want to talk about Vlad needs to improve defensively. That might be true. Unless I'm missing something, teams can still work on defensive drills with their players in the major leagues. Uh, yeah, the damage affects things a little bit more in the majors than triple a but uh look at right now at toronto and chicago in the standings uh toronto is 53 and 65 chicago is 42 and 76 both are in fourth in their divisions not going to be catching any wild cars not going to be catching any division races um Basically, now is the time for experimentation. San Diego Padres are kind of doing that right now, not by calling up prospects. And, and, you know, maybe they will at some point when rosters expand. It sounds like uh, Francisco Mejia will definitely be up. He's on the 40-man roster. Luis Urias will definitely be up in September when rosters expand. If you have nothing to play for, if there's no playoff race, now is the time to see what you have. Uh, now is the time to try out guys at different positions, uh, try new things. You know, just get prepared for 2019 when you're really going to have a chance. And keeping Vlad and Eloy down right now and letting them mash, yeah, that's great for their confidence. That's great for them to put up video game numbers and all of that. What are they really getting out of it? Are they going to be better players in the long run for not being challenged when they are? Uh, you know, Vlad only got called up July 31st, I believe. Eloy's been up for a little longer. Uh, but, you know, what are they going to get out of a couple weeks and then just sitting around, you know, early in September? I don't quite know. Uh, and, and if you want to make the case of, oh, well, maybe they're blocked by guys. Uh, right now, the White Sox in left field are playing Nick Delmonico, who is batting 222 with a 671 OPS. Uh, he ain't blocking anybody. Uh, and at third base right now for the Blue Jays, the last two games they played Russell Martin. Uh, so, yes, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his defense. Actually, you know, we, we had this play, I think it was last week, uh, his dad retweeted us saying he has a glove, he is okay at third base. He can make the plays. He, he You know, he might have some range issues, but he's going to make the plays, and he's definitely going to mash at that upper level. Let him get that taste. Uh, I go back to, you know, Mike Trout, a couple of years ago and not to say these players are on their level because you know you don't want to compare somebody who's well on their way to a hall of fame career there's too many unknowns in between uh but mike trout came up and struggled in it in his first year in the major leagues uh got sent back down to triple a the next year got to course correct got that taste got to know what to expect and then was the al rookie of the year mvp candidate all that kind of stuff uh in his first official rookie season I really think players take things that, you know, you want you want them to make the adjustments. Okay, great. They need to know what to adjust to. If they're just constantly mashing, they're not adjusting. Uh, and, and, you know, both of these players have shown the ability to adjust very quickly. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did really well in the major leagues. Um, but what we do have to address, and this is why I said in a vacuum, I want them up in the majors right now. I understand it's not a vacuum. Uh, if the Blue Jays and White Sox hold off on calling these guys up until late April next year. They get a whole another year of control. Uh, if they wait until June, which I pray does not happen, uh, they could get they could delay arbitration by a year and save some money. 
that's all well and good for the organization. But again, what is it doing in the short term for these players? Um, you know, you're, if you're starting to plan out year six uh, before you even are allowing year one to begin, what exactly is going on in that plan? And if the Blue Jays are really thinking about that, you know, I, I understand Vlad has the chance to be a generational talent. Uh, but they did call up Sean Reed Foley this week. They did call up Danny yeah. Jansen. Those guys made their major league debuts at the same time. Danny Jansen's definitely a top 100 prospect right now. Sean Reed Foley w- is up there in the minor league leaders for strikeouts. These are guys they want their long term as well. Why do they get treated differently than Vlad does? Um, you know, you want to make the case of, oh, Vlad just got called up July 31st. I get that. Sean Reed Foley also started the year in Double A New Hampshire. Uh, and again, it, this, this isn't a, a positional thing because they are starting their usual catcher at third base right now. Um, it, I, I, every try to, you know, I try to break through the weeds, and what it's really going to come down to is a financial decision. And I would just love to enter this off season, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself and start talking about the off season, but I'd rather have majorly, you know, know what. Eloy and Vlad can do on the major league level and be discussing that all offseason instead of talking about like well how quickly are they going to get here because we know they are ready now but we still have to talk about them as prospects I'd rather see them challenged uh, here in the last couple weeks whether the White Sox or Blue Jays take that jump I would probably say it's a 25% chance on each uh, so not looking great because they they are rebuilding franchises right now they want to protect their long term assets but you just start start uh, stacking everything up and it becomes pretty clear that you know a lot of their arguments don't really hold weight given some other moves and given the major league situation so if you are uh, somebody with access to uh, a car or a plane or a train or something that can get you to Charlotte, you should get there soon because the uh, Buffalo Bisons will be in town. And at least as of right now, although this is somewhat of a tease because we're recording this on Tuesday and you won't hear it until Wednesday at the earliest, uh, but as of right now, those two guys look like they will be on the field together on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Um, and then Charlotte will host Louisville. Buffalo will be on the road in Gwinnett. But if you're in, in an international league city of any kind, and you've got Buffalo or Charlotte coming to town. Um, be sure to get your tickets because you might not be able to watch those guys for too long at the AAA level. Strike two this week, Sam. Uh, we are getting close to the final days of minor league baseball playoff races in 2018, whether it's the full season leagues uh, that don't divide their seasons into half, so two AAA leagues, some AA leagues, um, but also second half races starting to come to a close elsewhere around the minor leagues. What's your favorite MILB playoff race as of right now? Yeah, so the one I've really got my eye on, and I did kind of a tool shed of this last Friday, which was just prospects to watch in each of the you know 10 uh, full season leagues it, going into the stretch. So a lot of these guys have been promoted. Now they have something to really play for. Uh, teams will do that. They, they will promote players within their systems. It's, it's kind of like the intra trade deadline in a way. Um, you know, this team has a need. Well, we have a player ready at, at a lower level. Let's bring them up. Uh, those guys are really talented prospects who we've been talking about all year. Uh, so the division I have my eye on right now is the FSL South, uh, Florida State League South, uh, for those unaware. Right now, as we stand on Tuesday morning when we're recording this, uh, the Charlotte Stone Crabs have a half a game advantage over the Fort Myers Miracle. Charlotte's 30-19 and 19 in the second half. Fort Myers is 30-20 and 20 in the second half. Uh, and why that's really cool is actually something we saw Monday night. Uh, I'm writing this up for the Prospect Roundup right now, so when you listen to this, you can go back and read it if you want. Uh, Brendan McKay and Royce Lewis, two 2017 first-round picks, actually faced each other uh, Monday night on the field. Brendan McKay went five strong innings. I think he struck out Royce Lewis. That's a matchup of two guys who had both had the chance to go number one overall uh, to the Twins. Lewis eventually goes there. McKay drops a couple spots to the Rays. Um, so this is a, a, a kind of mini rivalry that's beginning here. Uh, those two are always going to be tied because of being such high picks in that draft. Uh, now they're going, getting the chance to go really he- head-to-head. Uh, it, it, that miracle team has actually been really interesting because since Lewis got up, and I, I don't want to blame this on one player, but they've been playing exceptionally better. Uh, they're starting to kind of creep up on Charlotte, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. Um, we also have Alex Kirilov, who has been one of the better hitters across the minor leagues this year, uh, which has re- been really promising. He missed all of last year after Tommy John surgery, has been 
tied with or at the top of the leaderboard in the minor leagues for extra base hits this year. Uh, so just a lot of really good prospect talent that we want to see at this level. Um, all of whom were not there at the beginning of the year, so they did not have an effect on the first half. They are really making their, uh, you know, their presence is felt here in the second half. If you want to find one that's going to be a bit of a nail biter coming down here these last two and a half weeks, uh, the FSL South is somewhere you should look. The uh, Midwest League has an insane race going on in the Western Division. There are five teams in that division right now within five games of first place. Six teams within five and a half games of first place. So uh, if you were looking for a crazy race to keep an eye on, Peoria and Cedar Rapids as of today when we were recording this on Tuesday, the 14th of August. Peoria 30 and 18, Cedar Rapids at 31 and 19. By winning percentage, Peoria at 625, Cedar Rapids at 620. Peoria is really in first place in that division, but they're basically even in that division. Beloit is 28 and 21, two and a half games back. Quad Cities is 28 and 22, three games back. Wisconsin is 26 and 24, five games back. Kane County is 25 and 24 at five and a half back even clinton is kind of hanging in there 23 and 27 they're only eight games back with an elimination number of 13 so if you're just looking for pandemonium uh then the midwest league midwestern or the midwest league western division is the place to go for you but um that's kind of the fun thing about the the half races at minor league levels is that you get certain leagues that down to the end there is very little separation in a lot of these games and so even though to an extent they're somewhat manufactured by the league being cut in half and a first half division winner and a second half division winner it still creates some fun drama toward the end of a season or toward the end of a half so uh if you want some craziness keep an eye on that mid-league western division uh and strike three this week sam before the season we all made picks on an episode of the show before the show podcast as to who our bauman award home run champion winner would be in 2018 i know um i'm nowhere near Near the top of the list because I picked Eloy Jimenez and Eloy is uh you know wasn't healthy the whole year had he been healthy the whole year probably running away with this 21 homers in 88 games but uh he's not really running away with it um but right now there are a handful of guys who have already busted through the 30 home run mark in the minors in 2018 um I know Josh Jackson's pick of Casey Golden is hanging right in there he's got 28 homers this year Peter Alonzo friend of the podcast 29 homers um give us your uh, your odds on favorites down the stretch here in the 2018 Bauman home run award race yeah well give yourself some credit I mean Eloy has 21 homers in 88 games right now yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, if he had played like 30 more games in there, I definitely think he would be right there in the mix. That um, home run, that bat to home run ratio is uh, it's right on. He would have been right there. Right, for sure. Uh, so right now, as things stand, Suli Matias has 31 homers uh, in 94 games at Class A. Lexington, Bobby Dahlbeck also has 31 homers. Uh, he split his season between Class A Advanced Salem and Double A Portland. He's only been in Portland for nine games. And Peter Alonzo has 29 home runs in 113 games, uh, most recently with uh, the Las Vegas 51s. Uh, and Imendel Isabel, who is a first baseman in the red system, uh, has tw- has 30 homers this year between Rancho Cucamonga when he was with the Dodgers and uh, 87 games with Class A Advanced Daytona now in the red system. Um, so the way things kind of look right now, Matthias was running away with this for a very long time, has really cooled off, has not yet homered actually in all of August in eight games. Uh, he missed a couple days with a back injury. He, he suffered on a swing. He's come back. He's playing again. So at least he's going to be able to keep track of with you know Dahlbeck and, and Alonzo and that, that crew in that way um, but the way he's kind of petered out at the end of the year I don't feel like he's going to get it uh, Dahlbeck has really come on strong you know he he pushed his way out of Salem probably should have been out of Salem a little bit before he was uh, he's already hit five homers in nine games with the Portland Sea Dogs uh, so he's coming on good and Peter Alonzo has been especially good in his last I want to say like two dozen games or so after kind of struggling a little bit in Vegas, which is not something we think about with PCL players. Uh, he's hitting 385 with five homers in his last 10 games. Um, so the way things kind of look, I, I feel like, and Isabel, as good as he's been in the Florida State League and the fact that he's put up those numbers in the Florida State League, I'm going to kind of put him off to the side, even though he's one behind the leaders, uh, just because the FSL is such a di- difficult home run environment. Uh, I feel like that's going to be tough for him. But just looking at the schedules, here's where Alonzo plays the rest of the year. He plays at Fresno, at El Paso, back home, at Sacramento, 
back home and you know vegas is a is a homer friendly park no doubt uh so so i think that's going to kind of help him bobby dahlbeck i just looking at park factors and all that kind of stuff eastern league not as homer friendly as the pacific coast league but i think he is going to get a little bit of help because redding is the, one of the most homer-friendly parks in all of minor league baseball, regardless of league, regardless of level. Uh, he gets to play three games there between the 24th and 26th. I think that's going to help. He has a bunch of home games the rest of the year. Uh, counting it up right now, he has at least 12 less left this month. Uh, and Portland, you know, we don't think of as being a homer-friendly park, and that's fine. But I think just being at home, being you know, knowing the park, knowing where, where you are, uh, you obviously get some advantages playing at home. So I feel like it's going to come down between Dahlbeck and Alonzo. Uh, I'll give the advantage to Dahlbeck right now just because he has been so hot. And uh, I'm sure double-A pitching will adjust to him at some point. But he is kind of becoming the next Joey Gallo in a way. Of His strength is entirely wrapped up in his power. He's not going to hit for a high average, even though he's sitting 364 right now in Portland. I expect that to kind of come down. He's going to strike out a ton. That's something he's done even going back to his days at Arizona. Uh, but the fact that he has a two kind of homer lead right now on Alonzo, uh, as as many good parks as Alonzo is going to play in, uh, I think Dahlbeck maybe hitting two and three games in Reading and then in getting to enjoy the kind of creature comforts uh, playing back in Portland, it's going to kind of give him the advantage here. So that's the way I would put it right now. I would expect Dahlbeck to win. Alonzo might keep it close. Uh, and then Isabel and Matthias kind of coming in, fighting off for either second or third. Here's my big prediction. Here's my big, bold prediction about this race. That Eloy's going to hit 15 homers in the rest of the – okay. Well, anyway. obviously, obviously. That's my number one big, bold prediction. Number two, Casey Golden gets a late promotion to Lancaster – the most homer-friendly ballpark in the minor leagues, blows up, wins the whole thing himself. <laughs> Maybe because he's the last one of all the ones we picked preseason, and I just kind of want one of us to be right, Josh Jackson, yeah. that Casey Golden picked. So you never I know. Mean, he's got 28 at Asheville. Asheville, very homer-friendly as well. But you put a guy up in Lancaster, that's like that's like going back in terms of hitting homers. It's like going back from, you know, like all-star to pro on difficulty level on a video game like it's a next obviously it's a more difficult level but you know the wind blows out in lancaster you just got to get a, a pop-up hit stiffly into the air and it care not really the case but almost kind of the case sometimes in lancaster you never know casey golden if he gets a promotion yeah and the one thing right I, into the crazy mix i'll note about casey golden too that's kind of cool about him is uh yeah he plays in Asheville, and we've both seen over the years just guys put up crazy numbers in Asheville, and then you look at their splits and you're just like oh that's disappointing i thought that player was going to be really good hashtag uh, coors yeah hashtag mccormick <laughs> uh but actually casey golden has hit 12 homers at home this year he's hit 16 on the road uh and his slugging percentages are almost identical 552 at home, 544 on the road. Yeah, he's been so really impressive. this is not just a guy who's taking advantage of his environment. He's hitting almost anywhere. Uh, he is a 23-year-old playing at Class A. Let's not get that wrong. It's not like right. he's gonna, we're not expecting huge things from him going forward. But whether he does stay in Asheville or if he goes to Lancaster, he still has plenty of good chances to catch those other guys. And uh, that'll do it for three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Hi, everybody. Sam here again. Uh, just jumping in. As you probably heard Tyler and I mention, uh, we recorded the podcast this week on Tuesday morning uh, instead of normally recording it on Wednesday. Of course, when that happens, uh, late Tuesday afternoon, uh, news broke about a pretty big trade in, in both minor league and major league circles uh, with Shane Boz going from the Tampa, or going from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Tampa Bay Rays, thus completing the deadline deal that happened in which Chris Archer went to the Pirates uh, and Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows uh, went to Tampa Bay. Boz ended up being the player to be named later at the time. Uh, Pirate sources had indicated to The Athletic that it was going to be a significant piece going to Tampa Bay, somebody that fans would know. Boz certainly ticks that box. Uh, he was, or is, I should still say, no, the number 95 overall prospect in baseball. Uh, he was the 12th overall pick in the 2017 draft. The Pirates kind of took it easy with him this year insofar as they assigned him to rookie-level Bristol in the Appalachian League. Uh, had 
struggled at times, especially with command and some of his control. Uh, he had a 3.97 ERA in 10 starts uh, with a 1.50 whip, kind of speaking to those control issues, 23 walks and 45 in the third innings, uh, but still showed exciting stuff overall, striking out 54 in those 45 in the third innings. Uh, scouting reports pre-draft still currently have him with the potential to show four above average pitches between his fastball cutter slider cur and curveball i talked to him earlier this week because he was named the appalachian league pitcher of the week uh for last week after putting together two scoreless starts for the first time consecutively uh in 2018 he talked about his changeup uh, really developing well, and if that's the case, that could give him five above-average pitches, uh, which would really be something. Boz has really excelled this year pitching to contact on the ground. Uh, his 62% ground ball rate led the Appy League, uh, which is certainly saying something for somebody who's also getting so many swings and misses. Uh, so the ERA might not have been there, but overall the stuff is still there. There's still a really exciting prospect in Boz. Uh, you add him to that Tampa Bay system, which was already very good, even after the graduations of Jake Bowers and Willie Adamas this season. Uh, Boz becomes the Tampa Bay Rays number six prospect, uh, and he's the sixth in that system to be ranked among the top 100. Uh, for anybody who read my tool shed uh, in previous weeks, Ronaldo Hernandez, who's number seven, I'm also a big fan of as a catcher. So this Rays system has been really good at graduating prospects, but it's also continuing to feed that pipeline, um, adding Meadows, adding Glasnow, former top 100 guys themselves who have really done a, a really good job since they joined Tampa Bay. Still a small sample, uh, still a small sample on the Archer side as well. I know he, he struggled early in Pittsburgh, but uh, we'll have to wait a little while. Obviously, Pittsburgh wanted to pick up the years of control, the years of affordability with Archer. Uh, but they had to pay a heavy price. I don't know if any other team would have necessarily paid this price that the Pirates did. Uh, kind of a head-scratching move as far as that goes. But just wanted to butt in here again, kind of a foul ball, an addendum to what we talked about yesterday uh, with Shane Boz, the number 95 overall prospect in baseball, joining an already very loaded, very deep Tampa Bay system. Uh, so that'll wrap up three strikes this week officially. Uh, we're now going to move on to an interview I recorded today. Again, that's Wednesday uh, with number two D-backs prospect Jazz Chisholm. We talked about uh, a, a really strong start for him at Class A Advanced Visalia since he got moved up to Class A King County. And I believe he's the first Bahamas native we've had on the podcast. So we get into what baseball is like in his home country and how he's having an impact on the um, developing the sport and making the sport uh, more popular in that Caribbean nation. So here is Jazz Chisholm. Well, we're joined this week on the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show, with number two D-backs prospect Jazz Chisholm, uh, currently in the Class A Advanced California League with Visalia, just got there a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jazz, welcome to the show. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, how's it going out there so far in California? Hi, man. Glad to be here. Um, it's going really great out here. I mean, I'm enjoying the California League. Having fun out here. Yeah, no, I can imagine uh, the way things have gone, especially lately. Uh, for those who follow the D-back system probably know this already, everybody else. Uh, you, you were just coming off a streak of four straight multi-hit games. Uh, you're, you're hitting currently 337 with a 997 OPS, uh, really hitting the ground running. Obviously, the Cal League's an offensive-friendly league, but uh, what's allowed you to hit the ground running the way you have and perform so quickly You know, at a newer level, having started the year at Class A Kane County? Well, because Crane County was more of a pitcher's league, uh, a lot of graveyards, hitting in a lot of graveyards, you know. So coming to the California League where you know, like, okay, I, hit, I can hit the ball anywhere and it'll still carry a little bit. It was like a big confidence booster. Other than like Kane County Midwest League where you have to like really focus on a direction where the ball will travel in the park. Or if it doesn't travel in the park at all, you know, you're trying to just do a little bit too much in the in Kane County. So I hear it, you, it takes less off of you, you know. Yeah, and how much are you guys talking about that as, as players, you know, whether you are in Kane County, uh, knowing what the offensive 
environment is there. Like you were saying, uh, of the 15 homers you hit at Kane County, only five were at home, 10 were on the road. So obviously there were some home road splits there. Uh, but when you do get the call, when you do know you're going to the higher level, how much conversation is going on of what to expect you know, in a new home, in, in a new park, in, in a new league like that? Um, I mean, when I first got here, everybody was telling me like, hey, they're going to pitch you differently than how they pitch you down there. And and I was asking them, like, well, what do you mean differently? Like, off-speed, fastballs? What's the difference? He was like, you'll get a lot more off-speed. I was telling him, and I'd just be like, I think that'll be the same way they pitched me down there, you know? So when I got here and they were pitching me the same way that they were pitching me in Kane County, I was already used to it. But now I didn't have to worry about trying to hit the ball to left field, center field, or right field. I could hit it anywhere and it would travel. So it was easier for me to just hit the ground running here because it was like when the wind's going out in the Midwest League, I had great games because I didn't worry about, I didn't have to worry about, okay, I hit the ball to right field, it's going to die. And the center field is just going to blow back in. So those are my best games when I was just thinking about just hit the ball hard and no carry. And yeah. that's how I feel about this league. Cool. And one thing that's notable about that for you is that you do have 21 home runs on the season between Kane County and Visalia. Uh, that's a pretty strong number for anybody in the minor leagues, uh, but especially for a shortstop, a guy listed at 5'11", 165. Uh, last year, before an injury, you only hit one home run with Kane County. Uh, what do you feel like has, has attributed to this kind of power jump for you and you know how sustainable do you feel like it is now? Do you feel like you could be a 20 home run hitter year in, year out uh, with some of the changes you've made this year, the way you've kind of grown in, into your power? Um, yeah, I feel like the changes from last year and this year, I, I always had the power I had for my first year, but I just feel like now I, I'm more consistent with it because I'm taking a lot of the same swings instead of like seeing an off-speed pitch and like just trying to tap it somewhere and try to use my speed to beat it out on the floor. Now I actually like to really swing as hard as I can at the off-speed, really. Just like how I swing at the fastball, I swing at the off-speed now, so that's where I feel like my consistent power came in. Um, like I'd say, more of my home runs this year, more than half of my home runs are off-speed this year. And, and so, well, just to go back to what you are saying about swinging hard and swinging consistently in that way, is that something the D-backs kind of addressed with you personally in terms of allowing you to tap into that power? Because a lot of scouting reports I've read about you is saying, have said like the power will come eventually, but it seems to have come even quicker. So. Uh, was that something they were working on with you in the spring, going back last year to extended something like that, or how did that swing pass the Actually, my first year in Missoula, I hit nine home runs in the half season, right? In the short season, right? And I came to spring training the next year, and they're telling me like, "Hey, we need you to like have a more relaxed and calm swing." Your home runs will come later, but we just need you to get hits right now. And then that spring training, I had seven to eight home runs <laughs> going into the season last year. So last year I went into the season, I only had, I played 23 games or so and hit one home run. And it was because I was trying to do what they told me to do, you know, stay relaxed, the home runs will come later. And then this year, I was just like, I was telling myself, like, when I'm relaxed and try to just hit base hits, I normally, like, roll over or something. But when I try to have my normal swing, stay smooth through the zone, swing a little bit aggressive, that's when I start hitting line drives, and the line drives become home runs. Instead of just trying to hit a, like, tapper that just doesn't go in the gap, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so really, it was just me thinking about hitting the ball hard somewhere, hitting a line drive hard, and they just eventually go out of the park. 
Right, and, and I feel like at, at the lower levels, especially, and you kind of tapped into this a little bit, it, it feels like normally organizations try to bring up a certain uh, hitting, philo <clears throat> hitting philosophy to younger prospects, uh, but it sounds like you've allowed to kind of take over and use your own strengths. Um, how was that conversation, or how did that conversation go? How, how willing were they to let, kind of let you be yourself? Uh, once you were able to show, you know, this is what I'm able to do when I am able to swing with as much power as I can get. Well, when they when they really seen that what I was doing this year, most of what they really wanted me to do is stay in control of the aggression. So I don't like swing and spin a little bit. Like sometimes I spin off a lot and hit a foul ball home run or something. And instead of that, to keep it fair, so before I got to the Cal League, we had the conversation and he was like, I just want you to stay in control of the aggression, stay balanced with it. And as soon as I, as soon as that happened, I came to the Cal League and it really, it's worked really well. So like they, they gave me the, they, they told me, yeah, you can stay aggressive, but we want you to stay control aggressive. And it worked really well for me. All right, very cool. Um, and we've ta talked a little bit about it, or we have alluded to it anyways. Uh, last year, when you were at Kane County, uh, you only got 29 games in, and then you suffered a torn right meniscus. Uh, it seemed like you were getting hot just at the end there, just in May, uh, before you suffered the injury. Uh, what was it like to kind of go through that, just when it feels like you were starting to pick up things? And, you know, what was the rehab process like for that? You know, we know so much about the rehab process for – elbows now and and other you know acls that type of thing but you go through a right meniscus that's really tough uh especially for a shortstop like yourself how long did the rehab process come or how long did that take uh before you were able to come back um uh it was it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life because i mean i love baseball and just not being able to play baseball for five months was just the worst ever for me. So just going through the rehab process, trying to stay strong, trying to stay mentally strong, it was just like hard for me to just stay there, you know, and do it. But I did it, I, I last do it, and worked hard every day, trying to get back on the field earlier than I'm supposed to get back on the field. And that's just how it worked out for me, because I was just, pushing hard every day like I started running it was supposed to be a six month progress but I put I worked hard every day to make it a five five month progress to be back and go to instructs you know yeah I was gonna ask the injury happened or you played your last game there anyways in May um you know if you're saying it took five months I guess that puts it at October uh when did it really feel like you were fully formed back and really ready to be the shortstop you could be well i came back in october early october um played uh practice with the guys a little bit at instructional league and then i went to dimension instructional league to play some games i played seven games there uh had seven home runs and played a little bit of shortstop you know and I feel like that's when it when I when it clicked. Like, man, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to go back out there, and I'm gonna be the best one out there. Cool. And uh, one thing we got to talk to you about because it is, I think you're the first Bahamas native that we've had on the show. So I did want to bring this up at, at least. Uh, there's a really good story that went up on the Athletic about your kind of background in the Bahamas, how you got noticed, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, and how you came over to the States for a little while, went back to the Bahamas, got signed by the D-backs out of the Bahamas. What was it like coming up in that environment? Because I, I think a lot of people don't know that many athletes from the Bahamas. You look it up on Google, it's mostly sprinters. Uh, there have been six major yeah. leaguers. Uh, I think the last one was Anton Richardson. Played a little yeah. bit for the Yankees and a little bit in the Dodger system. Uh, but what, what was it like coming up as a baseball player in that country? I mean... It was kind of fun. We traveled a lot for a lot of things. Like, 
you would you would never know, but we played in me, Lucius Fox, and Chavez Young have all played in the Cal Ripken Little League World Series in 2010, and we won it. So, like everybody that I played baseball with, probably 200 to 300 kids I know from playing baseball and became friends with, and. Playing baseball back home was just so much fun because it was just, you go to the field, you'll probably play a, play a game, like an actual Little League organized game. And then after that, you'll go on like a smaller field and you have the hit from the other side, from the switch side and play around, you know. And that's how everybody became friends down there, you know, playing in that little pickup sandlot game. And I mean, it was a lot of fun for us because everybody who played baseball ran track and field. So like, everybody would go from the tracks straight to the baseball field. After the baseball game, we played a pickup sandlot game with like 12 kids on the field, one person hitting and have fun with that. The parents are still watching you, having fun, no umpires, just you guys playing by yourself. It was a lot of fun, man. And the coaches always pushed us to be great. So when I when I came back home and my same coach was there, you know, Jerron Sands. He always he always had my back and he always talked to me about everything. He's the guy that I call when I'm struggling. And so I was talking to him because he was the one who brought me to the baseball field when I was five years old. Well, he was my coach when I was five years old. He didn't bring me there. My grandma brought me to the baseball field, but. Five years old, he had me, so I was talking to him, and he was like, yeah, come to the academy. I'll be fine. We went to the academy. Lucius was there, and we had a big showcase with probably 15 to 20 scouts or so, and they got to see us play. I guess they liked what they seen. And that's what got me to where I'm at today because playing baseball at Mahomes isn't really easy. But when you finally made it out, I mean, it's a big accomplishment. Yeah, and you talked about your decision to go back. Um, you know, being paired with Lucius Fox, that certainly helps that there's two of you guys that scouts can kind of show off. But uh, take me through that decision to, to move back to the Bahamas because according to this story, uh, you, you moved to Kansas to play baseball as basically and if you had stayed there long enough maybe you could have been drafted but instead by going back to the Bahamas you can sign with you know whatever team gives you the most money or whatever situation is best for you uh what what went into that decision to go back uh and kind of open up that signing process so I was in Kansas and I was about to graduate in December I was an early graduate that December that I was going back to December 2014 so I've been 16 but the host family situation was really messed up and I was telling my parents about it and they're like well we got to try and find you a new school to go to and then my my coach was telling telling them like we got a baseball academy he'll still graduate in December with the program that we have at the baseball academy and we'll see how it works out. He'll either get into college or he'll become a professional baseball player. Depends on how much, how many scouts knows him, you know? So I knew a, a couple scouts knew who I was playing in Kansas. I played a couple's, I played in a summer ball league and I played in an annual, an annual event that summer, the summer of 2014, I played in an annual event that goes on at the Wichita Wingnut Stadium. It's a lot of college and professional teams, I think, and indie ball teams. Really can't remember the name, but I know I was the youngest person there. I was only 16 years old while I was there. And I went back home and I started training and I saw that, I seen that Lucius went back. Well, when I met, when I met him at home, did not know he was home. It would have been good to know because we talked to each other every day, but he didn't tell me he was going home. <laughs> we, were on the, we were on the same flight home 
And I was asking him, like, hey, it's September, dude. What are you doing going home? He's like, yeah. I got, it was a a messed up, something messed up at American Heritage. And I was like, all right. Well, I told him what I was doing. And he was like, actually, that's what I came to do, too, to train with the coaches that we grew up with. And Anton Richardson was one of the coaches. Albert Cartwright, who just re- retired last year, was one of the coaches. So we really had a good, like a good training system. And we, I actually did graduate high school in 2014 of December. And they asked me, they asked me if I wanted to go in the draft or if I just wanted to sign international, you know. And I always told him like, hey, I want to go on the draft. Because it was just my dream to go on the draft. And they told me, and then MLB said that I'm international. So I went in the international signing market and I signed international. Yeah, and given that path, the way it all worked out and with the way you, you came back uh, and still got signed and everything like that, if you could go back would you have stayed at home the whole time instead of going to Kansas, or do you feel like that was, you know, instrumental in developing you into the ball player you are now? I feel like me going to Kansas was the best thing for me. Uh, running up, like we used to run in the snow behind our coach's car for our conditioning. I feel like that grew me into the guy that I am today. Staying, it it kept me mentally tough. You know, and then going back home was just the more of a, the skills came from going back home. But to get me to the guy that I am today, being being able to live by myself basically from the age of like 12, 13 to 15, 16 helps me to to, to be the guy that I am today. You know. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And just going back to that 2010 team, uh, that 12U team that won the Cal Ripken Little League World Series, you know, now the kind of general Little League World Series is, is about to happen in Williamsport. I know they're separate events, but um, I know, you know, in the States, a, a team wins in a local region. People talk about it for decades afterwards. Uh, what kind of impact did you guys have winning on that international stage at that 2010 tournament do, do you think, for, you know, baseball in the Bahamas? Um, I felt like it did a lot because people are still talking about it now. In the Little League, everybody still wants to do it. You know, we have a team there right now playing in the Little League World Series. In the Carrickin Little League World Series, we have them playing right now. And the guys are really pumped to be the second team ever to win a World Series from the Bahamas. And Everybody's like they want to be that they want to be the guys from that team to win because they see where we go afterwards. Like most of the guys on that team are in college, playing college baseball, you know. So it really gives them a chance to believe in a lot. And three of us are professionals, and the rest are college baseball players. Well, four of us were professionals, and one got released not too long ago, but. Other than that, it it really helps, you know, to build up your confidence to say, I was, I'm a Little League World Series champion. Yeah, but we'll, we'll leave it off on that then, uh, on that really optimistic note. Uh, Jazz Chisholm, thanks so much for joining us from Visalia, or from, you know, playing with the Visalia Rawhide. Uh, good luck the rest of the way over there in the California League, and uh, good luck on entering, the, you know, the offseason fully healthy and re- ready to attack a, a fuller offseason this time. Thank you. The month of August has brought a New York Penn League tour for Benjamin Hill, who joins the show off of his most recent one and ahead of another one coming up this weekend and uh, getting to stick around uh, the New York City ballparks recently, Ben. How are you? How's the how have the trips been? I'm doing all right. The trips have been OK. It's uh, we're really in the home stretch. The dog days. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it is crazy. It's uh 
I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. So just ask me another question. It's cool. <laughs> well, you got to go to Brooklyn last week. We heard that episode, a uh, fantastic episode with you and Ben and Kelsey, or with you and Sam and Kelsey. Um, this week, the trip was to Staten Island over the weekend, uh, Richmond County Bank Ballpark, which has arguably the coolest view in minor league baseball, although there are a bunch of ballparks that can make um, that claim. But it is the only ballpark that has a view overlooking the skyline of Manhattan and is a really, really cool little ballpark on the uh, on the Staten Island, uh, the King's Island side, or what is the King's Landing is the, the location in um, Game of Thrones, which we know from a story on the site a couple of years ago, Staten Island, which hosted a Game of Thrones night, the creator of Game of Thrones based King's Landing on his view of New York City from Staten Island and Richmond County Bank Ballpark is kind of where you get that view. And so there's a lot of cool minor league baseball and pop culture ties in that facility and in that location. And uh, But it's an interesting uh, ballpark and franchise, of course, last year, a couple of years ago. There was the the movement to change the name of the Staten Island Yankees to something wild and wacky in minor league baseball that fell flat. It did not happen. Now, this year they brought it back as a, a weekly thing where they became the Staten Island Pizza Rats as a promotional deal. So that's kind of an interesting franchise. Um, but tell us about the, the trip first, and we'll dive in a little bit deeper into the Staten Island Yankees. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, this is not a trip so much as just uh, hitting a few New York Penn League locations intermittently throughout the month of August. Um, so last Wednesday was indeed the Brooklyn Cyclones, and I hope you all heard that episode um, uh, based on that visit. And then uh, two days later, went to Staten Island. And, you know, I've lived in New York City since 2002 and been going to Staten Island Yankees games, uh, at least sporadically, even before I started writing about minor league baseball. Um, always enjoyed the whole process essentially of just having an excuse to take the ferry see the statue of liberty see the receding uh, you know manhattan skyline as you go to staten island um you know get off the ferry uh one big thing this time around is there's a lot of construction around the ballpark um they're building a huge uh well, allegedly, they'll finally get this Ferris wheel up and off the ground, a gigantic Ferris wheel that's supposed to be 60 stories tall. Um, but cow. they're much closer to fruition at this juncture. The, the, the Ferris wheel would be just beyond the left field um, portion of the ballpark. Like You can go to uh, the left field side of the concourse and look out and see actually the, the pedestals uh, for the Ferris wheel, which is the only sign of construction so far. Um, but on the other side, more on the right field side, um, there is a lot of construction, um, primarily for a huge outlet mall, You know, hundreds of uh, stores and restaurants, a you know, typically New York City kind of hipster food court um all being built around the ballpark on the right hand uh, right field side <clears throat> so i'd never seen that before it actually closes off the most immediate entrance to the ballpark if you're taking the ferry uh now you have to go all the way up and around to get into the ballpark because the construction blocks off uh the entrance which would be on the you know the water side of the ballpark in the outfield on the right field side uh so it was kind of cool to see that uh, although it does lead to a somewhat reduced you know baseball experience uh all that construction right now uh, in terms of uh, access and egress i never get to use the word egress yeah no that's so a, that's, that's, a, a, that's a new one it's 173 episodes yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but i digress with the egress um so it was cool to be there. You know, I was wandering around. It was a Friday night, um, kind of wondering, like, what's my story here? And the team, you know, and this was mostly uh, through President Will Smith, um, <coughs> excuse me, Staten Island President Will Smith, um, big fan of, uh, you know, bubblegum and uh, baseball and bubblegum and a great combination. And uh, so he put together a uh, sponsored by Bazooka, a bubblegum blowing contest. And, um, I was like, sure, I'll do it. You know, I, I, um, I'm a participatory journalist. Um, so I signed up, did it in the semifinals on the concourse, won, then went to the final round uh, for a post-game contest and won. And uh, so I, me, Ben's Biz, Ben Hill of MILB.com, I won the Staten Island Yankees bubblegum blowing contest on the dugout. Uh, and now I'm going back on August 31st to uh, go against Kerpavakwa, who was the recipient of the 1975 uh, bubblegum blowing championship crown and has his own tops card from that year uh, with the bubble he blew. So 43 years later, after uh, being the 1975 bubblegum blowing champion, Kerpavakwa, best known for his time with the Padres, will be on Staten Island um, to blow bubbles. And I'm going to go back there on that particular Friday and see how I can uh, hold up against Kerpavakwa. I have a lot of bazooka that I won in 
in this contest, and uh, I've been showing it a lot, um, developing strategies, and hopefully we'll be taking Kurt Pavakwa down uh, before the month is over. So what are your training techniques exactly? Is it just like two sticks a day? Uh one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Are you doing two a days? How do you, how do you kind of work out the strategy? Well, I think the main thing is to, is to figure out what the optimal piece of gum is. Like in this contest we did during the game, they recommended just doing one piece, which I think is right if you only have a few minutes to chew before you start blowing a bubble. But uh, if you have the time to really you know work out your wad of gum, um, I think three to four pieces is best. But I'm not sure if, if that's going to be in the parameters of the contest or if you just all have to start chewing it once in a specified number. So there's a lot of variables with it. But um, what I found, I think the reason I won this uh, contest is because, you know, I just calmed down and I went within myself. Um, it wasn't that I blew the biggest bubbles. It's just, you know, I have a experience of, you know, participating in between inning contests and ballpark contests. So no disrespect to the other competitors, but I think they were a little uh, caught up in the circus-like atmosphere and nervous and thinking, oh, my God, I've never done anything like this. And me, again, not to be arrogant, but it's true. I just calmed down, took a deep breath, and just blew a bubble and won. And that's really all it is. But I think Bavak has been on that stage before. So uh, I have to think about other mental techniques that can uh, transcend me beyond a, uh, you know, one of the premier players of the 80s, or at least not premier, but second-tier player of the 80s. He, you know, he hung in there. I, I'm a big fan of Kerpavakwa. Any other bubblegum cliches you want to get out of the way? Taking it one stick at a time, only focused on what's in front of you. I mean, there, there's a lot, but uh, I don't want to. Uh, Not trying to blow too much. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm going to pass for right now. Okay, um, all right. You I, got time because yeah, you're going back. So yeah, I was just about to say two or three all at once, and then I just felt shame, which is usually something I don't feel. So let's just let's just move on. Okay. Well, so you did get to go to both of New York City's ballparks last week, and uh, you know, for us who live here, it's obvious what what is different about these two experiences. But they are two outer borough places. They are not right in the middle of the city. How do these kind of compare going, you know, like we did last week, going from Coney Island to uh, Richmond County Ballpark that quickly? Um, you know, well, there are similarities, obviously. They're both in New York City. They're both in the New York Penn League. They're both affiliates of New York City Major League Baseball teams. Um, and I think what they both offer is a great view in a distinct location. I think you really can't go wrong visiting either team because they are so rooted in the place in which they are. Um, that said, you know, Brooklyn gets a little more shine, I think, because it's in such a touristy area. And uh, Staten Island, it's a great excuse to ride the ferry. But once you're there, you're just kind of there. Um, you really don't have too much opportunity to explore other areas of Staten Island if you're coming on foot from the ferry. Uh, so it's a little more self-contained as, a, as, a, as opposed to what could be an all-day extravaganza if you're uh, going to a Brooklyn Cyclones game. But, uh, you know, as I said, I think... Uh, you know, here in New York City, you know, it's 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 a major league town if there ever was one, and I think it's important for uh, for everyone, not just baseball fans, but in the summer months, to remember that there are these two minor league environments which offer you know cheaper, more intimate uh, baseball access than you're going to get otherwise, and to take advantage of that. And uh, you know, you know how t fast this uh, time of year just goes by. The New York Penn League season starts in mid June, and all of a sudden you're looking up and you're like, oh my God, is it Labor Day like next <laughs> week or two weeks from now? So take advantage of these fleeting ephemeral 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 that's a my combination of ephemeral and memorable um take advantage of these things while you can that's all i'm trying to say um ben you also got a chance to see uh, a former i don't want to say fling but it was a short-lived love affair with scooter this guy not a staten island yankees mascot staten island yankees mascot we're all getting tongue-tied maybe it's the bubblegum um scooter last year delivered uh valentine's to the office to ben you got some cannolis and some other uh some gluten-free stuff um some dessert treats what was it like seeing scooter a year later it's tough I, sometimes. I think he i think he forgot me 100 percent like <laughs> like he wandered up to me, put his nose in, in my face, you know, posed for some pictures. But there wasn't even a hint that of recognition. Uh, of recognition that I was the same man who we traveled all the way to Manhattan on Valentine's Day for. That's a I just bummer. don't think there was that connection. It, it it was a bummer, but I kind of steeled myself for that possibility. I wanted to show up and just see that glint in his eye and yeah. have him run over and give me a hug that made me seem like more than the average fan because I'm not the average fan. I'm, you know, we're former uh, – 
I don't know Valentine's. what you want to call a relationship. Or Valentine's. Valentine's, yeah, partners. And uh, there was just none of that. I realize the mascot mind works in different ways. Um, it is more uh, caught up in the ephemeral, ephemeral, <laughs> and uh, not so uh, long term. So I was ready for it, but it was kind of tough to see uh, a cow I'd once loved uh, really just give me the cold shoulder. Sometimes it's just easier this way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You, you can just forget and move on. Scooter looks like if the character Heifer from Rocco's Modern Life came into real-life being, that's kind of what Scooter looks like. He's got the, the Heifer thing going on, uh, which is very exciting for those of us who grew up in the mid-'90s. Uh, ben, coming up this weekend, Williamsport and State College. Obviously, um, Big Al smacking dingers, Williamsport, the Little League World Series going on right now. State College, a uh, really cool ballpark in, uh, in Pennsylvania, the home of the State College Spikes. Tell us about the trip this weekend to the Keystone State. Yeah, this would be Sunday and Monday. Um, the Little League Classic is the second annual at Bowman Field in Williamsport. You know, this is a major league game, so I've never done this before. Uh, gone to s- cover a major league game, but it's a, it's at a minor league ballpark, so uh, I'm not going to cover it so much from you know what happened between the Mets and the Phillies. I'm going to cover it uh, more from the minor league side of what's it like to operate a minor league team in the Class A short season and have uh, major league teams play there, and how does that affect your operation for good and for bad? Um, it's obviously a great opportunity on the whole for the cross cutters to be hosting a major league game uh, right in the thick of uh, Little League World Series time. So that's Sunday. And then uh, parlaying that into a stop on Monday to State College because um, I just haven't been there for years and years. So looking forward to that. The State College spikes. Um, I'm sorry, guys. It's on a Monday. It's just the way the schedule worked out. But we're going to have a good time. So uh, those will be New York Penn League trips three and four um, of August. Uh, Williamsport this Sunday the 19th. And then uh, State College. College spikes on the 20th and then uh for those looking ahead uh the aberdeen steamed crabs on friday august 24th to wrap up the new york penn league uh leg of my traveling season you can follow all of it benjamin hills on twitter at ben's biz the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com what else is coming up uh, to the site well you know that's a good question um a story that appeared yesterday is uh a guy a kid well i don't want to say kid a a young man, Jay, a youth, uh, Jay Canetti, who has written blog posts for me in the past. Um, he came to the game in Brooklyn last week and wrote an article on the Hefes, and uh, I was able to get that up on MILB.com, uh, working together with him. So kind of cool to give a 16-year-old kid um, you know, the MILB.com spotlight. Uh, so check that out. Uh, his account of the Brooklyn experience, that's up on the site now. You know, we're talking on Tuesday, and I'm not even, even exactly sure what article I'm having uh, running later in the week. Um, it's, it's such a busy time of year. I got some travel logistics to figure out. And also, you know, in September, I'm going to have visited every minor league stadium. So I'm trying to uh, kind of compile my own personal history for some potential, like, highlight uh, real stuff. I don't know. I don't know how this works, but, you know, it's a, it's a very significant time of year uh, as we wrap up the season, and I'm heading toward a milestone, and I just don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, once we get to this time of year, it's like everything everything has grown over the course of the season. Now we're into the last three weeks to a month stretch, and it's kind of you try to just uh, distill all of the best stuff from one season in the last few weeks. And be on the lookout for it at the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, or at the site, milb.com. You can follow Ben uh, for the rest of the season through these trips and, uh, and everything else on Twitter at bensbiz. And uh, enjoy the the trip to Pennsylvania this weekend. We'll talk to you about it next week, Ben. Hey, I look forward to it. And uh, for the record, Sam Dykstra is sitting to my right. We are in a cubicle right now recording the podcast. But Sam Dykstra to my right. Yeah, we got thrown off all kinds of – everything got thrown off this week. So Sam actually didn't even get a room. Poor Sam has been doing this from just like sitting in the hallway in people's way all day. Sam's a trooper. You're a trooper, Sam. Sam is a trooper. (laughs) Let's just leave it on that. the finishing touches on the 173rd episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com thanks for tuning in wherever you found us you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription on itunes and google podcasts and everywhere else you find your shows and uh we'll give you some recommendations on what to watch as we enter the final stretch last month of the 2018 minor league season sam what are you watching on milb.tv this week so as tyler mentioned at the beginning of the show uh if this goes up in time, there's a decent chance it won't. But Charlotte and Gwinnett, or Charlotte and Buffalo, that's going to be a much watched series, regardless. Um, but in case you do miss that, actually, there's another really exciting series coming up at the end of the week. Um, looking at this weekend between Buffalo and Gwinnett, uh, one matchup in particular to look out for the 
schedule hasn't been laid out perfectly yet, so we don't know exactly when he's going to pitch. Uh, but Kyle Wright is probably slated to pitch in one of those games. I'm going to guess it's probably Saturday's game. Um, but keep an eye out, maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, somewhere in there. He's coming off. We're recording this Tuesday morning, as we've said. On Monday night, he pitched his best AAA outing yet. Uh, only gave up one hit and one walk. Struck out eight over so- seven scoreless innings against AAA Louisville. Uh, Buffalo, you're going to want to watch regardless because you want to get as many Vlad at-bats as you can in case he doesn't get called up to the majors by the end of the year. This is your best chance to see him unless you're in the Buffalo area or some other IL park. Um but what makes this particular matchup so interesting is that Kyle Wright actually gave up Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s first AAA home run, uh, and that helps start the run of four straight games with a home run uh, between the 8th and the 11th for, for Vlad. So Wright will be coming off his best outing, looking for a little bit of revenge against Vlad. Vlad is going to be good no matter who he's going up against. That's a righty versus righty battle. Uh, you're going to want to tune in for every at-bat you can get of that. So keep an eye out for the schedule. Uh, it's a little too far out to say exactly when Wright is going to pitch. My guess right now is Saturday, but keep an eye out for, for that kind of area. And uh, I'm going to go to the Pacific Coast League, the other AAA circuit this weekend. A uh, guy we talked about back in segment number one, friend of the podcast, Peter Alonzo, who was the first minor leaguer in 2018 to 100 RBIs this year. He's got 105 now as we record this on Tuesday. And 29 home runs, he and the Las Vegas 51s will be on the road at El Paso, a uh, very homer-friendly ballpark in the AAA Pacific Coast League. So you can check out Peter Alonzo and the AAA affiliate of the New York Mets taking on the AAA affiliate of the San Diego Padres this weekend at uh, – uh, that gorgeous Southwest University Park in El Paso, Texas. That's one of the ones, if I had to rank like a top five in ballparks that I want to see in the minor leagues soon, um, El Paso would definitely be up there. Yeah, no, for sure. We, we should keep a, a list of this for like ourselves next year. We should do that. Like I, I really liked last week's episode and kind of getting into, you know, in the ballpark experience. So, and like the one we always the scenes do it. right now, everyone. Right. Yeah. And the, uh, the one we do every spring training is a lot of fun, and you get to do a little bit of that in the Arizona Fall League when you go this fall. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely try to do more of that in 2019, going, going how well last week's did. We, uh, I mean, we did a uh, weekend together this year, Sam and I. We got some hiking in. We did some cool Colorado stuff. Maybe next year we'll do uh, a minor league road trip of some kind. And Josh Jackson, you know, um, health will also we'll be, be there. there this time around. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. I said I'd throw Josh under the bus for no reason whatsoever. Josh is fine. Josh is fine now. That's the most important thing is Josh is fine. And, yes. Uh, and, uh, and that's the, the biggest thing. But maybe next year. That'll be, that'll be on the docket for our weekend together whenever it is. Um, so there. Now you got some show planning in this week's episode under your belts as well, loyal listeners. And uh, we'll wrap it up for episode 173. We'll be back with you coming up next week as we get uh, closer and closer to the conclusion of the minor league baseball regular season in 2018. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you then. Yeah.